You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, a weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 10. Welcome back, folks. Chris Lester here, ready to bring you more fiction fresh off the writing desk. If you haven't listened to episodes 8 and 9, go back and download those now so you can get the first two parts of the story that I'm sharing today. You can find past episodes at my blog, chrislester.org, as well as at metamorecity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R-City.com. The Kickstarter for Elysian Springs is now active, and we will be continuing to raise funds from now through August 5th, 2015. The link for the campaign will be in the show notes. For now, here's a promo about the anthology. Even superheroes age... When Black Widow goes gray, Aquaman gets Alzheimer's, and someone's got to catheterize Wolverine, there's only one place capable of tending all their super senior needs. Elysian Springs, Adventures from the Nursing Home for Aging Superheroes, is the first anthology from Pendragon Press, and we need your help to get it flying. What's in it for you? Ten tales from authors like Gail C. Martin, T. Morris, and Jared Axelrod, plus a ten-page comic by artist Jason Strutz, all of them aggregated by Intergalactic Medicine Show assistant editor Lauren Scribe-Harris. And you won't want to miss the exclusive Kickstarter swag. From t-shirts and staff IDs to parking signs and personalized accident reports, let me tell you... It's awesome. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Kickstarter and support Elysian Springs, adventures from the nursing home for aging superheroes. We changed the Joker's bedpan so you don't have to. And yes, if you're wondering, apparently it is Elysian Springs. Turns out I've been pronouncing that word incorrectly for 25 years. This is what happens when you get most of your vocabulary from books. In any case, I hope you'll head over to our Kickstarter page to support the campaign. This past Friday, I also interviewed the mastermind of Elysian Springs, editor Lauren Scribe-Harris. We had a fun Q&A about the anthology and what people can expect from it. It's available now on my YouTube channel and on chrislester.org. Again, I'll put links in the show notes. Today I'm bringing you the final part of my Elysian Springs story, Flying Free. Remember, this story deals with mature themes and subject matter, including racism and homophobia in the 20th century. This section also includes some strong profanity. Listener discretion is advised. Flying Free An Elysian Springs Story by Chris Lester Part 3 August 1969 Barbara stood behind her little podium at Washington Square Park and fussed with the cuffs of her dress uniform. Zelda stood at her right, resplendent in her chainmail and winged helmet, though she had left her spear in the car to avoid any accusations of carrying a deadly weapon. Elias checked the rented PA system again, for lack of anything better to do. You did say noon, did you not? 
Zelda asked. Yes. Barbara looked up at the arch overhead, then out at their surroundings. Elias followed her gaze, taking in the central fountain, the curving paths around it, the trees. There were some people here, a few street musicians, some joggers, a handful of tourists, but no press, and nobody who looked like they were here to hear a speech. I don't understand, Barbara said. I talked to the Times, the Post, all the local TV and radio stations. Somebody should be here. Elias was getting an uneasy feeling in the pit of his stomach. We should go, he said. Barbara looked at her watch. Let's give them ten more minutes. Maybe there was a problem with traffic. It was eight minutes later when the cars arrived. Eight Ford Falcon sedans, all glossy black with tinted windows and government plates. They surrounded the park on all sides and disgorged a dozen men in dark suits and a dozen more military police. They surrounded the arch and Barbara's podium. Captain Vallet, Major King, said one of the suited men, you're to come with us. Barbara put her hands on her hips. Sorry, who the hell are you? The man raised a badge. FBI. You're to come with us now, ma'am. The MPs closed in around them, hovering on either side of Barbara and Elias. Barbara looked at Zelda, her eyes wide. It's all right, she said, her voice shaking as she forced out the lies. Everything's going to be all right. Go back to the hotel. I'll see you later. Zelda's eyes were filling with tears. Elias imagined that she'd watched this scene play out far too many times as a child not to know how it ended. All right, she whispered. Then she threw herself into Barbara's arms and kissed her, fiercely, desperately, until the MPs pulled them apart and dragged Barbara away. Elias, for his part, went quietly. They left Zelda standing alone in the middle of the park. Elias and Barbara were ushered into separate cars, each with three others following behind them for escort. They were underway and creeping through the Manhattan lunchtime traffic before Elias noticed the man in the passenger seat in front of him. You should have kept your heads down, General Pierce said. Elias raised his chin. Funny, he said. I seem to remember you telling me to hold it up. Pierce grunted. He watched the city streets rolling past for a while in silence. Did you tell the press to stay away? Elias asked. Pierce let out a humorless laugh. <laughs> Me? No, son. Director Hoover did that. Did you really think you could talk to every paper and broadcaster in New York and he wouldn't hear about it? He shook his head, as if in disbelief. Last night I got called into the Oval Office. It seems the president couldn't sleep when he heard the news. The president? Elias swallowed the lump in his throat. What did he say to you? That my eagle flight had become a nest of perverts, traitors, and pacifists, Pierce growled. He demanded to know what I was going to do about it. Elias looked uneasily at the MP and the G-man who were sharing the car with them, but both seemed to be pretending they were deaf. What did you tell him? Pierce turned around and looked at him then, his ice-pale eyes flashing. I told him you were the finest men and women I'd ever served with, that I didn't give a damn whether Valet was a dyke and she sure as hell was no traitor. Elias felt his eyes bulge. You said that to the president? Damn straight I did. 
and I said that if he planned to crucify Valet, that he better hang me right up there next to her, because she was my man and my responsibility. Elias sank back in his seat and let out a long sigh. Damn, you had me word there for a minute, sir. I should have known you'd have our backs. The light faded in Pierce's eyes. Well, he said, suddenly very quiet. I tried, anyway. The bottom fell out of Elias's stomach. Sir? Pierce looked away, back out the window. The president accepted my resignation, he said slowly. In recognition of my long years of service, and to keep the Reds from finding out that we were feeding them bad intel, they have declined to court-martial me. I'm being put quietly out to pasture. He eyed the G-man in the driver's seat, very quietly. Elias felt sick. Then Barbara? Her, they're going to court-martial. There'll be no mention of the blackmail, but the indecency charge is enough to get her thrown out of the service. She could get up to seven years, if the court is feeling vindictive. Elias winced. The sight of Barbara and Zelda being torn out of each other's arms was bad enough. And, uh, what about me? As far as anyone knows, you were just helping your friend set up for a press conference. You had no idea what it was about. Vala never spoke to you of her relationship with Valkyrie. Sir? Pierce sighed. Major, the world still needs eagle flight. With me gone, someone needs to take the reins. You're the best choice. For a moment, Elias was lost for words. Sir, I... I couldn't. You can, Pierce said firmly. You will. And maybe you'll do a better job than I ever did. His eyes grew distant, his voice thoughtful. This isn't the world we set out to save twenty years ago. Everything's changed so much, so fast. Things aren't so cut and dried anymore. Maybe it's time Eagle Flight had a leader who was a little more... Flexible, Elias suggested. Pierce snorted a laugh. <laughs> Not one of my stronger suits, I'll admit. He looked back over his shoulder at Elias. Do this for me, will you? Or if not for me, then for your country. He offered Elias his hand. After a long moment, Elias shook it. I'll do it for both, sir. September, 1972 Elias sat at his usual outdoor table at the little Parisian café, enjoying his coffee and pastry and digesting what he could of the latest issue of Le Monde. The American delegation would need Eagle Flight to run security that afternoon, but for now his time was his own. Room at that table for two more, Colonel? Elias looked up to see two white women standing over him, wearing conservative dresses of gray and navy blue. Both were blonde and wore berets, neither a very distinctive feature in Paris, and their large sunglasses obscured much of their faces from view. Still, there was something familiar about them. The woman in blue lowered her glasses, and Elias would have known those gray eyes anywhere. Barbara? Oh my God, Barbara! Elias leapt out of his chair, a little more slowly and stiffly than he once would have done, and wrapped her in a tight embrace. I can't believe it. When did you get out? Just last week, Selda picked me up. She returned the hug, but Elias could sense a kind of distance in it, a slight tension in her back and shoulders. 
He released her from the embrace and shook Zelda's hand. Zelda, welcome, welcome. Please, both of you, have a seat. Elias gestured to the empty chairs, then turned to signal the waiter. What brings you to Paris? First flight back to Europe we could get, Barbara said. I heard Eagle Flight was doing security for the peace talks, so we asked around for where we might find you. <laughs> so much for OPSEC, Elias chuckled. So why Europe? I'd have thought you'd want to go home to Frisco. He knew she hated the nickname, but teasing her about it had always been one of their little jokes. This time, though, she didn't take the bait. Barbara took off her sunglasses and looked down at her lap as she fiddled with them. It's not feeling so homey these days. My parents will barely speak to me, and they hate Zelda. Zelda reached over and took her lover's hand. They just don't understand. They will, in time. Barbara snorted and said nothing. Zelda turned her attention to Elias. In the meantime, we have received the personal invitation of King Gustav Adolf to come to Sweden. The name rang a bell. Didn't he have Dr. King come visit a few years back? Zelda nodded. He cares deeply about civil rights, and Sweden has done more to protect people like us than any other country in the world. We can even serve in the military there, Barbara said. Once we establish citizenship, anyway. Elias froze with his coffee halfway to his lips. Is that your plan? He asked, carefully. To renounce your American citizenship? Barbara's eyes blazed with loathing. Give me one good reason not to, she spat. Elias hesitated. Well, I know it didn't come out at trial, but there were whispers about you being a traitor. Renouncing your citizenship would throw gas on that fire. I don't give a shit what anyone back home says about me, Barbara snarled. They stole three years of my life, Elias. They took my pension and my medals. They dragged my name through the mud. After everything I did for our country, all the missions and all the godforsaken corners of the world, they threw it all in the dumpster and called it worthless because I dared to love another woman. Well, fuck them. Fuck America. Elias stood up, anger flaring up out of nowhere. Now hold on just a minute, Barbara. Fuck America. She was on her feet, too, her face inches from his, as she spoke each syllable with crystalline clarity. Fuck the goddamn stars and stripes and the amber waves of grain and all the fucking hypocrisy of their so-called freedom and justice for all. Because it's a lie, Elias. It's always been a lie, and you damned well know it is. Because you'll never be more to them than a goddamn Uncle Tom. The words were barely past her lips when her eyes went wide, her face ashen, and she covered her own mouth in horror. Zelda was beside her now, one hand on Barbara's chest to hold her back, but it wasn't necessary. Barbara was already shrinking back, collapsing in on herself under the weight of her own vitriol. Silence stretched across the table, hard and brittle. I think, Elias said slowly, that you should go now. Barbara's jaw opened, mouthed the word I'm but she did not even dare to finish the apology. Her eyes, though, spoke volumes. Elias turned away from them, sat down, and stared into his coffee. When he looked up again, the women were gone. 
June 2015. Half a world away, and half a lifetime later, Elias again sat staring into his coffee cup. This time, a white hand reached out and gently touched his brown ones. I do need to apologize, Barbara said. I was carrying so much anger, and I let it all spill over onto you, even though you were one of the only people in my life who could understand it. Elias nodded slowly. I did understand it, he said. Maybe that's why I got so mad, because I saw the same problems in my country that you did, and I stayed. Thought I could still do some good. Barbara smiled warmly. And you did. We may not have been speaking all those years, but I was watching. You think I didn't notice all the people you saved when Loma Prieta hit back in 89? Elias chuckled. I kept thinking of you, you know. All through that damned quake. I said to myself, we better not let Osprey City get wrecked or she's going to come back here and kick my ass. They both laughed at that so loudly and for so long that half the other residents in the dining hall turned to look at them. Elias imagined what they must be thinking, the quiet military man with the shattered legs, who went softly among them like a mouse among elephants. What could make him laugh out loud like that? Elias didn't care what they thought. For the first time in over forty years, he had his friend back. Selda came in a few minutes later idly examining a sensor cluster that she'd pulled from one of the defense drones. The Chosen of Odin had aged barely ten years to Elias and Barbara's forty-three, but the love in her eyes when she looked on Barbara was no respecter of age. "'Are we having a nice chat?' Zelda asked. She bent over Barbara and kissed her before pulling up an empty chair beside her. "'Very much so,' Elias said, raising his coffee mug to her in salute." Hello, Valkyrie. Blackhawk, she said, with a nod that was nearly a bow. She set the sensor cluster on the table beside him, then tapped a small yellow label on its underside. Did you know they are making your tin soldiers in China now? Doesn't surprise me, Elias said easily. So, what brings you two to my neck of the woods? I thought maybe you were moving to America for retirement, but Barbara doesn't sound convinced. Selda patted Barbara's shoulder. Barbara needs a great deal of convincing to do the things she wants most. Barbara swatted playfully at Selda's hand. Hush, you. To Elias, she added, This is a reconnaissance mission, ascertaining the facts on the ground. And there is another reason for coming back now, Selda added. I was getting to that, Barbara said, but her smile said she wasn't half as annoyed as she sounded. Elias, I've waited fifty years to be able to say this. Selda and I are getting married. Slowly, Elias felt his lips spread wide into a grin. So that's why you're headed to California. Yep, Barbara said, beaming. We could have done it in Sweden in 2009, but I swore I wasn't going to do it until it would count back home. And besides, I always wanted to get married on Mount Tam. Well... Congratulations, both of you. I'm sure it will be a wonderful ceremony. Well, since you mention it, how would you like to come? Now, Barbara, Elias chided her, you don't have to put yourselves out for one tired soldier. 
It's been a long time since I could climb any mountains, even a little one like Mount Tam. Barbara's eyes were tearing up a little, and she sniffed. I know that, you old warhorse. Why do you think I mentioned the new suits with the neural nets? She reached over and took his hand again. I don't just want you to be there, Elias. I want you to be my best man. Elias nearly spilled his coffee. Would have, if Barbara hadn't reached out and steadied it. He looked down at her hand, then out the window that looked over the gardens. In the blue skies overhead, the swallows were flying high. He took a deep, shuddering breath and wiped the tears from his eyes. I'd like that, he whispered. I'd like that very much. And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. Now it's time to check in on my writing progress. Here is your weekly writing report. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this, I've written 3,800 words in 4.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 800 words per hour. Once again, I ended up writing less than my targeted time of 6 hours for the week, but I'm hoping to put in some extra time this weekend to get a jump on next week. On the plus side, my writing speed continues to be quite high when I am writing, at least compared to what I was managing before. Overall, for the month of June 2015, I wrote 24,571 words over the course of 30 days. By comparison, in May, I wrote 15,231 words over 19 days. That means that for most of two months now, I've been averaging a little over 800 words per day. If I can keep up that rate for a year, I'll have written just under 300,000 words. Not a bad pace for someone who's been out of the game for so long. Oh, but it's good to be back. And now, the feedback. Hello, Chris. It's Sarah Testarossa, as usual. I would first like to address the other listeners. Hey, folks. Calling in and leaving feedback is cool. I'm sure that you guys are probably sick of my voice by now being, like, one of the few feedback thingies. And last episode, I was the only one. It's so lonely. Okay. Anyway, and, you know, email's good, too, because, you know, feedback. We thrive on it. We meaning authors. I don't know. Anyway, so Chris, now to you. <laughs> really enjoyed today's episode, part two of Flying Free, the discussion that took up a good bit of the uh, the modern day section was really, really just very believable, I guess I would say. And also, I hadn't known that, like, Elias hadn't really counted exactly as a superhero, because, I mean... Thinking about it, it's like kind of is sort of an Iron Man-ish in terms of just the fact that it's like, you know, it's a suit or, you know, with Batman and all his gadgets. But, you know, they count as superheroes, so why not him? But I guess it's because of just the way that this is with the other superheroes being so different. But, you know, they let him into there for whatever reason. One of the distinctive traits of Elysian Springs is that it is a nursing home set up to take care of people with superhuman abilities. The idea is that these people couldn't be cared for adequately in a normal nursing home, so Elysian Springs provides the special services that an aging superhuman needs. In the case of Elias, though, he's a mortal man, so there's no inherent reason why a normal nursing home would be unable to care for him. That meant that I needed a good story reason why Elias belonged there. 
I decided that the super security features that are necessary to protect Elysian Springs' superhuman residents would also be helpful in keeping Elias safe from old enemies who might wish him harm. I also want to note that Barbara never says Elias isn't a superhero. Technically, she can't say that, because superhero is a shared trademark of Marvel in DC, and I don't want to get sued, but that's beside the point. She says that he isn't a cape. Within the Air Force slang used by members of Eagle Flight, that means that he doesn't have any superpowers. But I absolutely agree that he is as much a hero as Iron Man or Batman is. The flashbacks this time were really interesting. And yeah, Pierce is showing the bits of himself that are less sympathetic, supportive, was kind of frustrating. (laughs) That must have been interesting to write, but it's cool that he kind of came into your head fully formed like that. It's funny, it's like despite having studied, you know, U.S. history, it's sometimes easy to forget how quickly certain cultural things happened with relation to each other. Like when I think about the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement, I don't usually intertwine them. And then, you know, thinking about the years here, it's like, okay, well, Stonewall riots were 1969, and it was only a few years before that to Dr. King and Selma and everything, so... I don't know, it's just kind of a good reminder. It's really important that we, like, learn our history and really how different things and concepts and movements thing are interrelated. Thanks, Sarah. And yes, it's really incredible just how many changes the world went through during the 60s and 70s. It was a time of unrest and social upheaval on so many levels that I don't think our generation has any idea what it was like. I sometimes wonder if the folks living through those years understood all of the ways that the world was falling apart, and how close we came to the whole American experiment just unraveling. One thing's for sure, I feel very lucky to have been born at the end of all that. Even with everything that's happened since 9-11, things have been remarkably stable for us, and I think we tend to forget that. Hello, Chris, everyone. This is Mildred with some feedback. First, I'm going to start with some feedback to your response to my feedback. I get what you said about Kaya. As a nymph, she won't face death unless people with an insane amount of power obliterate the empire in one fell swoop down to the dust of the remnants and break her mana nexus at the same time. As long as even a stone remains, she may have the capacity to come back. Richter, having originally been mortal, Mirai, who originally didn't know she was anything but mortal, and Clyde, who was the actual mortal in the room, have experience with death that is much more integral to their existence and a perspective that they can use to tamper Kaya's sympathy with practicality. It's a good thing that the Majestrix has ministers and advisors from all backgrounds. It is indeed, and fortunately Kaya is wise enough to know that. I'd like to note, though, that someone trying to kill Kaya wouldn't have to destroy the entire empire, just the citadel. However, given that the citadel extends deep, deep underground, it would be very difficult to destroy it completely with an external attack. A direct assault on Kaya's heart, the mana nexus that we saw at the end of Things Unseen, would be the only way that even a powerful group of wizards would be able to destroy her. So, on to Flying Free. This is a really deep story. I think a good portion of the conflict in the world during the 1960s 
was that you know, so many calls for social change and recognition were happening all at once. The peace movement, the civil rights movement, the emerging LGBT community, they were all trying to get their voices heard over each other and the forces resisting changes at the same time. It echoes back to a century earlier when the abolitionists and suffragists argued over which effort should get the more focus at that time, an argument that eventually destroyed friendships of people who really had the same ideals regarding freedom and franchise. I'm glad that Elias was able to bite his tongue over that because it would have been sad to see that friendship break up. Another thing that I noticed in that final conversation in part two is that Barbara assumes that Elias is homosexual. Elias himself may have been a one or two on the Kinsey scale, but Barbara and many other people at the time would have seen him as 100% homosexual because he had a same-sex lover at some point in his life. Despite the use of the term bisexual to refer to a person who is attracted to both women and men going as far back as 1892, many people, including many people today in the LGBT community, still see bisexuals as exclusively homosexual or heterosexual individuals that are in denial, in the closet with heterosexual partners just for show, or who are just experimenting with their sexuality and will, quote, go back, unquote, to being heterosexual or homosexual when they're done. Additionally, even among people who accept that bisexuality is real, they're much more likely to think of women being bisexual than men. This tendency towards a binary mindset still affects sexuality, as well as many other areas today, including gender identity, polyamory, and even politics. And this is Mildred, Metamore City Librarian, signing out. That's very true. It amazes me that here we are, more than 60 years after Alfred Kinsey's groundbreaking work on sexuality, and there are still tons of people out there who don't understand that sexual orientation is a continuous spectrum, rather than a binary either-or concept. In the mid-60s, when the flashback takes place, that was even more true. Both Elias and Barbara misunderstand each other's sexuality. Elias, who is something like a one on the Kinsey scale sees homosexual attraction as something he can ignore. It's there, it's part of his sexuality, but he doesn't have to pursue it. He can be flexible, and he doesn't really understand why Barbara can't have the same flexibility. Barbara, for her part, is a five or a six on the Kinsey scale, and sees her homosexuality as an essential part of who she is. She can't deny or ignore her feelings for Zelda without cutting off a piece of herself, She assumes that Elias has cut himself off from his own true sexuality, just like she thinks he's cut himself off from his identity as a black man, and for the same reason, to satisfy Pierce's desire for him to be the good model officer that America needs. If you'd like to contribute your feedback to the show, you can send a message in text or mp3 audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. You can also call our voicemail line at area code 641-715-3900, enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign, to leave your message. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. 
If you want to engage in conversation with other fans, check out the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. Or you can join our discussion forums at metamorecity.freeforums.org. That's all for this week. Tune in next time for more fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. This podcast and its contents are copyright 2015 by Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.